1010-993 WBT. Final hour of the week here, and uh, I'll share some of it with Congressman Patrick McHenry from uh, North Carolina's 10th Congressional District. How are you, Congressman? Great, Pete. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, well, happy some, Friday. Yeah, you too. You too. Have you gotten some, uh, got caught up on the sleep since the big uh, House Speaker fight? Uh, so you, you look kind of tired in one of those videos I saw. Oh, at least I was not... Uh, <laughs> Uh, being tired versus in the in the middle of the physical action, little, <laughs> right. I, I would prefer just to be tired. Um, right. No, we're good. We're good. We're getting underway with with legislative action and getting committees stood up and getting on with a program of checking the Biden administration. So it's it's, it's been good. It's been a good month, and uh, it takes a little while to get Congress up and running. But I'm glad we're up and running now. So, uh, Congressman Hudson, um, has he has, has he picked up any nicknames? in the chamber yet? Uh, well, you know, when they say seize of the day, um, <laughs> when I think of Richard Hudson, I think, you know, wake up and grab the face, uh, grab, you know, the gra- face. grab the day by its face, <laughs> you know, some version of that. There you go. Oh, coffee um, mug. I, there, I'm, there's a merch opportunity there. Uh, well, yes, serious merch opportunity. And then, uh, and then the fake rip, uh, lip reading <laughs> yes. uh, on, on the House floor was, was pretty good, too. And, um, the, you know, people keep Trying to figure out a way of, uh, I brought the tiger right. uh, to, to use that. It's, uh, so there's a little sense of humor even amidst of uh, you know, yeah. Uh, do you a like physical altercation on the house floor? Now, do do you like the cameras being on all the time like that, like it was for that uh, for for that uh, three day period, four day period? I was so wor- focused on the work of it. Yeah. I did not know that the cameras were following us around. Oh, really? In live time until afterwards. Um, when people sent me clips of things that <laughs> I did or I, I was saying or um, or the, 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 the photos. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have any of that until it was over, all said and done, and probably for the best, yeah. based off of what had to happen on the House floor. So um, so I take it then uh, that your, your opportunity to get out of the leadership role seems to be working pretty well uh, so far. <laughs> yeah, I keep getting pulled back <laughs> That's down. Sorry, Look, like... I mean, I... Um, <laughs> We've worked so hard to get the majority, and I think Kevin McCarthy's the right guy to lead the House Republicans. And and I'm glad I get to run a committee and make the decisions there on on um, uh, legislation and oversight and in moving priorities. I, I'm I think everybody's in the right role. I think Tom Emmer is the perfect person from our campaign chair uh, of, of picking up seats two two cycles in a row to be the whip. Mm-hmm. He knows policy. He knows the moment. He's you know he's willing to take on the big fights. I mean, I, I think it's it's all set up for us to get the most out of these next two years because we've got to get the most out of it to save the country to stop the bad of this administration and what they're doing, the inflation and the economic impacts, the social agenda of the left, and then we've got to win in twenty four um, uh, because we have all the individual tax rates expiring at the end of twenty five and. Uh, we have uh, a massive amount of the Obamacare subsidies expiring at the end of 2025 as well. So that is the big fiscal uh, fight that we've got to make sure that we're in charge to to remedy uh, rather than the left. So you are now the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. Congratulations, by the well, way. Thank you. Yeah, thank you've you. been the ranking member when uh, the previous uh, chair was in charge, Maxine Waters. Uh, she was not too happy. With uh, something that you did, she sent out a big press release about uh, how you got rid of one of the subcommittees um, on the finance committee, which was uh, what the diversity and inclusion committee subcommittee. But then I saw you were also getting attacked from the right, Washington Free Beacon, 
uh, put out a story saying that uh, the best practices and policies that continue to strengthen diversity and inclusion in the capital markets industry, that's part of the subcommittee on capital markets. There's a subcommittee on oversight and investigations that is also, it's got some language like commitment to diversity and inclusion policies. So, all right, so so what is the case here? Because Maxine is very upset with you for getting rid of the subcommittee on diversity and inclusion, and the Washington Free Beacon seems pretty upset with you for putting these uh, this language in the other subcommittees. Well, the Free Beacon report is inaccurate. That's that's not in uh, the the rules uh, for the House. Uh, and uh, Maxine Waters is right to be upset. She created the diversity and inclusion subcommittee four years ago when she became chair, and I eliminated it. And I eliminated and replaced it with a digital assets or cryptocurrency subcommittee to replace it, which is our priority. See what Sam Bankman-Fried has done in that world and all the, uh, the theft of digital assets. Uh, we, we've got to, we have to have a committee focused on that. And so in order to de-emphasize it uh, and eliminate the committee, I said all the subcommittees can look at diversity and inclusion, just like we have a subcommittee that will look into ESG and climate policy. Uh, that doesn't mean we embrace it. It means that we're looking at this thing. Um, and we have to study it, and we have to understand it, we have to check it. Um, I've been front and center in the, in the big fights on woke capitalism. Um, and what we see from the left is they're trying to use public companies in America to do, they, they want to do to public companies in America what they've done to public education in America. They want to use it as a mechanism to spread their ideology and try to get their ideology into uh, the mainstream. And they want to do this with their social agenda through regulation of, of, um, of businesses, and they're trying to do it through my committee. So I'm front and center on this fight, and I've been outspoken against the, the excesses of the social left and the hypocrisy of a bunch of these companies uh, when it comes to ESG and climate policy. And they're trying to use ESG and climate policy to shield the fact that they're using Uyghur slave labor to make their products in China. So we've got to call out the people that are doing this stuff and the cynical games they're playing. Um, but I understand, look, when you make a decision like this, <clears throat> um, there are consequences for it. And so in my hearing next week in our first markup in committee, uh, Maxine Waters said in a re- press release that she was disturbed yeah. that I got rid of this committee that I said she shouldn't have created, <laughs> right? Um, so she says I'm disturbed, and then we have folks saying I shouldn't even talk about an issue um, uh, from the right, saying I shouldn't talk about it. I'm like, well, I'm going to talk about it. Um, it is it, their policies and woke, uh, their woke agenda is bad for America, I'm going to talk about it. Uh, and the fact that I talk about it doesn't mean I'm favorable to it. It uh, doesn't mean that I want to emphasize it. I want to get rid of this stuff uh, and the obligations of private enterprise to have to carry the social left's agenda. So uh, there's a fellow named Stephen Hayward. He writes the Powerline blog. Um, and he said, how about this as an alternative? The committee is committed to advancing equal opportunity for all Americans, regardless of race, sex, national origin, and religious creed. The left explicitly rejects this language, which is obviously MLK's uh, uh, language. And so if the left explicitly rejects this language nowadays, this should be what Republicans use exclusively. What do you think about that? He's right. Uh, He's right. Uh, We are for uh, equality under law. Uh, We are for equal opportunity. Equity is, uh, is, is this new term that the left is using. We are, in fa- we are in favor of equality under the law. 
we're 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 for equal opportunity. Um, outcomes cannot be determined and cannot be legislated. Um, and I'm fundamentally a free market conservative. I'm fighting for those principles, and I'm fighting for it in every possible way in my committee. Um, so next week we'll go through a markup. In the left, they're going to they're going to say the typical things about us, mm-hmm. um, and uh, then you'll see how we we take on this fight over the next two years. Um, but look, this this has caused a stir. Uh, you got people saying that I said things I never said, um, and these are friends and allies on the right. Um, uh, but uh, but look, I mean, I, I got it. It's it's a time of big fights in, in Washington, and we want to make sure that people aren't uh, we don't have weak sauce out of uh, conservatives. <laughs> right. And I'm certainly not going to try to serve them any weak sauce here. So you got you mentioned crypto, right? Uh, FinTech is also uh, stuff that you, uh, you're going to be focused on financial technology. Um, and uh, with the debt, uh, the debt limit, right? This is another. This is this is coming down the pike. I think I saw the president has said that uh, he only wants a clean debt limit increase. That's and that's all that Republicans should send to him. Is that is that yeah. where you're at? Joe Biden's been in Washington since 1972. Um, every major budget agreement, uh, every two to four years since that time, has revolved around uh, raising the debt ceiling. <clears throat> And now this president says we will not re- negotiate. Every president has negotiated on this. Donald Trump negotiated with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Now Chuck Schumer is saying we should not negotiate. It's, it's the most insane, stupid rhetoric out of a misinformed uh, White House that we've seen in Joe Biden's two years. Um, and so obviously they're going to negotiate with us. Obviously we have to talk about the fiscal uh, footprint. Federal spending is up uh, uh, discretionary spending is up 40% from pre-COVID to today. That is done on, under Democrat leadership, and they have foisted on America higher government spending that has resulted in higher inflation. So we're going we're gonna to drive that message in order to raise the debt ceiling, get a fiscal agreement so that we can start uh, writing the, the, the financial house. Um, we have to do this, and we have to do this for the next generation, but we also have to do it right now because of high inflation. Um, so I'll be, I'll be in that fight as well um, because we need a good outcome, and we need a good outcome for our economy today and for um, economic prosperity for the next generation. Just be careful wherever the negotiations are. Right? Look around for a Corvette because that, <laughs> that would indicate that the room is really, really secure. You know, that's the, that's the standard, as I understand it now. If it's got a Corvette in it owned by the president, that's a secure location. It is very safe and secure, right. it, especially when you have, you know, your documents in the trunk. Of right, right. Or there you go. Like that, right. <laughs> right. Uh, Congressman McHenry, always good to talk with you. Thanks for your time, sir. Have a great weekend. Here's a piece from National Review by Jonathan Butcher. Headline, DEI doesn't work. Taxpayers shouldn't pay for it. The evidence has been mounting for years. Diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, or DEI programs, don't make people more tolerant of individual differences. I've, I've covered this, these different studies as they get produced over the last uh, three years or so. And 
it's got a record of failure so profound that only the left can ignore it, really. Like, have you worked at a business that was uh, that was all racisty or something, that did one of these programs? Or maybe you didn't even know that the company was racisty, right? Or, or, or exclusionary or something. But they brought in some people, some workshops were held, some white women were accused of being fragile, they started crying and whatever, and like, did the, did the workplace get better or worse after that struggle session? And what the data indicates is that the workplaces get worse. They get worse. Because by putting people, I mean, look, these are not people that you oftentimes willingly associate with, right? You didn't hire them as your friends. You you didn't meet up with them someplace and, oh, you have the same interest as I do. I mean, I guess you have some similar interest in that you both work at the same place. And in radio, it's a little different because obviously people who love radio work in radio, right? They want to. And then radio just eats them up and spits them out. And then they're like, I hate you. Oh, I can't quit you. And then they come back. And anyway, uh, a lot of play, a lot of, for a lot of people, right? A lot of places you're at work and you're just there. You've got the job and you're there and you have no control over who else is around you. You don't have any kind of similar interests with a lot of the people around you. And uh, sometimes you might not even get along with a lot of them. And so now you're as management, you're going to you're going to stuff everybody into this struggle session where you start identifying people by their immutable characteristics and assigning motive and behaviors to them. That then makes them defensive, which then, of course, is used to attack them because, you know, it's essentially if you got nothing wrong or if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you got to worry about? And, and your defensiveness is simply a manifestation of the thing I'm accusing you of being, even though you might not be. And what happens is people in the workplace hate each other. Why would you do this? If you're a business owner, why would you do this to your employees? Why would you pit them against each other? Is there any other, I mean, aside from like Bill Gates in the early Microsoft days, but is there any other example where this occurs, where they pit each other against each other? Uh, They they pit um, employees against each other, let alone for reasons as superficial, right? And again, immutable. You You can't change them. Well, I guess except for the bottom surgery, top surgery, stuff, but whatever. For the most part, you like, you cannot change like, your race uh, unless you're going to force conversions uh, out of religion or something. I don't know, but these are things that that people choose on their own or they cannot choose at all. And so, why are you why are you trying to draw attention to all of these differences and then essentially make people feel good or bad about their group identity, which they don't have a choice in? By the way, in this National Review piece, they cite a long list of the uh, so-called experts, right? Ibram Kendi, uh, Robin DiAngelo, all the money that they make from all of these appearances. And yes, uh, Duke Divinity School gets a mention, as does Charlotte Mecklenburg. Good job, Charlotte Mecklenburg. Give yourselves a hand for paying Ibram X. Kendi. Thousands of dollars. I forget what that. Uh, I think it was like twenty grand for uh, for a half hour or something. I broke down the. Yeah, I forget what the the pay rate was there, but I broke it down by the minute, and I watched it. I played the audio from it, even though CMS was like, oh, "You can't really use it." 
pound sand. That's tax dollars that paid for that guy. So, yeah, I'm playing it. I used clips. I still have them. Come get me. I'll play him again if I want to. And it's a ridiculous amount of money for commentary that was vapid. It was. I watched the presentation. There was, there was nothing of value provided in his comments. I mean, that's every Kendi appearance, so yeah. But the evidence on these DEI programs, though, is so strong. That even the home of the racially obsessed 1619 project and mainstream outlets like it that have published Kendi's commentary, they're now printing critiques of DEI. Last week, Jesse Singal asked in the New York Times whether diversity trainings are doing more harm than good. Quote, the specific type of diversity training that is currently in vogue Mandatory trainings that blame dominant groups for DEI problems may have a net negative effect on the outcomes managers claim to care about. Singal has long pointed out the problems with so-called anti-bias efforts. Back in 2017, he wrote a book in New York. Uh, he wrote in New York Magazine rather that there was that implicit association test. Remember this thing? Project of Harvard. It was online. I've taken this thing like four times in my life. I just always got to test myself to make sure I'm not getting all racisty. And by the way, every single time I've ever taken that test, I always show a slight preference for African-Americans <laughs> every single time. I don't know. I'm not trying to beat it. It's a, they show you these, uh, they show you pictures and they make you pick, you know, one or the other good. And then they rotate them through like good, bad, positive, negative pictures and words and that sort of thing. And you got to keep doing it really, really fast. So the idea is it's breaking through your ability to actually see the things and, and, and pick them deliberately. And so the idea is it, it, it gauges what preference you have for a particular race. Now, part of that also might be, and I can say this as one who has a slight preference for the other uh, race, you know, black versus white, because I think that's the only one. I think you could actually, I think they've updated it. You could do Hispanic now. I think Asian has a category. But um, there is there, there is a genetic thing going on here, right? Over the course of millennia as humans develop and you are surrounded by people that look like you, there is something that gets sort of imprinted into the into the DNA, right? Like, Hey, this person looks like me, and so therefore they're less of a threat. Now that's not true always, but if you're in a little village or uh, or camp, you know, living in a cave, yeah, somebody's showing up that looks completely different. That's going to be concerning. They're like, oh, they're not from here, <laughs> and they're probably gonna they're probably gonna take one of those big clubs with the little knots on it and uh, bop me on the head and uh, grab my woman and drag her by her hair to that other person's cave. Not knowing that the other person doesn't have a cave, they actually have huts. They've mastered uh, uh, agriculture at this point. And the woman might actually want to go willingly because, hey, they have bread and, and crops. You know, never know. But these DEI programs do so much damage. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to more. There are more reports. And look, I look at this as a positive thing. If you've got legacy corporate outlets that are now kind of waking up to this, waking up to the problem with woke, this is good news.
CPI programs don't really work so great. Right? Here's an idea. Like, instead of trying to, you know, uh, judge people based on the color of their skin, how about we just, you know, fire racists? How about that? Like, you got a racist working at your office, like, fire him. There you go. Hey, wow, you're a bigot. You're fired. Like, whatever. Like, how about just do do it that way rather than bring everybody together, spend, you know, $30,000 to bring in Robin DiAngelo and make some white women cry, and, and then everyone hates each other. Like, why do that? Why not just fire the racist? I don't know. You know me, I'm all about solutions. And I just find that to be a way easier solution. So uh, Jesse Singal has long pointed out the problems with these so-called anti-bias efforts. He wrote this magazine, uh, article in New York Magazine talking about that Harvard test that shows I'm not racist, so I don't believe anything that he says uh, that uh, flies in the face of that. Uh, but he says that the, uh, it, it, uh, the researchers claim that it would measure test takers' levels of implicit bias but Singal says it's actually not reliable. A pile of scholarly work, some of it published in top psychology journals, and most of it ignored by the media, suggests that the IAT, the Implicit Association Test, that the IAT falls far short of the quality control standards normally expected of psychological instruments. In the Washington Post, which has featured Ibram X. Kendi's condemnation of federal civil rights laws and the civil rights movement, Writer Jenna McGregor also argued back in 2016 that DEI training programs do more harm than good. In 2020, Education Week lamented DEI's failings. They had a piece headlined, Training Bias Out of Teachers, Research Shows Little Promise So Far. And in 2022, corporate consultants at McKinsey & Company, they warned executives with an article titled, Don't train your employees on DEI. Build their capabilities. Writing's on the wall here, folks. McKinsey encourages businesses to promote diversity, but has also released reports that DEI programs fail at their intended outcomes. So there is a difference, and I suspect this is what Patrick McHenry was kind of talking about, too. There is a difference between recognizing the value of diversity in whatever form that may be, that might be that you may value, right? If you are a business owner and you know you want a workforce that is diverse in its opinions or is diverse in its background, is diverse in its age, whatever, right? If if you value that, okay, but that doesn't mean you run them all through DEI, right? You can you can say I want to personally I want to have quotas for every single racial and ethnic and and, uh, uh, well, what's the word? Gender. Can I say that? Can I say gender demographic? But whatever. It's like, I, I want to have all of these different, different people, right? I want it to look like the, the, well, you can't say melting pot anymore. It's the salad, right? It's the set. It's the American salad. It's not a melting pot. So you want to have all that. Fantastic. You can be as diverse and inclusive as you want to be. Just these programs that are being run, they don't actually they don't actually show value. They're, they're not succeeding in making people not prejudiced, right? They can never... Would you hire any other... Serve, I almost said consultant, and we know that they don't always... They can't prove their work either. But would you hire somebody that doesn't deliver? Would you hire somebody to do something that they claim they can do knowing that they can't do it? 
Would you actually hire that person? Well, if you wouldn't, then why would you do that for your business? I know, I know why government does it. It's, it's not a business. It's not their money. They just, yeah, and they're, they're captured, right? They're captured by this ideology. You know how much we spend in America on DEI trainings? $8 billion. And we'll never succeed. Because we can't, right? That's the whole point. It's an $8 billion a year industry that exists because you believe they can help you even though they can't, right? They, they, they don't have a track record of success that they can sell you on. So they just have to tell you that you've got this problem. And the only way that you can address the problem is by hiring them. So they have a, they have a, a vested personal financial interest in identifying a problem in you. And what's more, they're going to charge you to identify it and then hold their little training and you're not going to actually be better off afterwards. Oh, you'll get the little piece of paper, right? Yeah, you'll get the you'll get the indulgence, right? That's what the church used to sell. It's a get out of hell free card, right? Here's your indulgence. There you go. Thank you very much for the $20,000 and if you would like to take this little uh uh, certificate posted on your website, or maybe rub a smear of blood across the top of the front door. Either way, you know, and the and then the 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 mob shall pass by. You're okay. Researchers Frank Dobbin and uh, Alexandra Kalev they surveyed nearly 700 colleges in 2016. And they found that 43% of the schools had mandatory diversity training programs for faculty as well as for most freshman students. But the results of the program, uh, all these programs were, quote, uninspiring. Hundreds of studies dating back nearly a century find that anti-bias trainings, quote, do not reduce bias, alter behavior, or change the workplace. (laughs) Well, it's only the last hundred years. It's a little too early to make this kind of a definitive judgment, don't you think? What's to be done? What is to be done, asks Jonathan Butcher. Again, this is a piece at National Review. Public money should not be used for DEI offices in public school districts or on college campuses. For K-12 public schools, where DEI offices are becoming as common as they are in higher ed, state lawmakers should ensure that no teacher or student is compelled to profess or believe any idea, especially those that violate the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Such ideas would include the notion that individuals today are automatically guilty of racial crimes committed by others decades ago who happened to share the color of their skin. In public colleges and universities, lawmakers should prohibit school officials from using DEI statements to screen job applicants. Are you aware this is happening? This is rampant. Oh, yeah. Like you don't get you don't even get a callback to get an interview lined up, let alone a job. Right. If from a university, if you don't write up some sort of uh, like a portfolio uh, a submission that shows all the ways that you work for DEI principles. They're using this to screen people out. Similar prohibitions on compelled speech should also be applied in uh, higher ed. Yeah, that's it. Taxpayers should not pay for programs that do not work. That's the metric for for funding is success. 
What does success look like? Are you making people less prejudiced? No, no more money. They don't work. The studies are all showing it. These programs do not work unless, of course, the goal is simply to maximize power and concentrate it among a select, uh, you know, a clerical uh, class or or it's to advance an ideology, right? It's, it's for profit or it's for ideology. That's it. If those are the metrics for success, then, uh, well, yeah, we definitely shouldn't pay for it. <laughs> definitely shouldn't pay that. That's it. That's the answer. Talk 1110 WBT. Have you heard of this thing called the Chat GPT? GPT. Chat GPT. All one word. I don't, yeah, but the G and the P and the T are all capitalized, as is the chat. The C, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's made by some uh, creator called OpenAI, so it's artificial intelligence. And apparently, you can go on, I guess, on. Uh, on to a website or something. I have not done this because it, it freaks me out, but uh, not the website, but like the AI stuff. Like, I don't want it. Like, I look at it like I look at the devil, you know? Like, I don't, I don't even let that into my brain because I don't know when it turns into something sentient and now I've, I've, I'm completely lost, right? So open AI, uh, you can actually go on to this uh, website or whatever and you could give it some pieces of information and it constructs, these stories or songs and poems and all this stuff. So BuzzFeed announced that it is going to use the chat GPT. By the way, this is also a big problem in, in colleges because people don't have to do any of the research. Now they go to the, they go to the chat GPT. They type in whatever the, the terms are that they have to write about for their school paper, whatever the topic is or something. And this thing will crank out however many words you need about that topic. And it's artificial intelligence, so it knows, like, everything. It knows it knows the idioms and expressions and stuff. It knows, like, all of these colloquialisms, and it uses them for the most part correctly. Journalism is screwed. I'm just, look, this, and this is the first story. You're going to, you heard it here first. Media companies that employ human beings to write stories, they're not going to be able to compete with chat GPT. Because if I can't, look, if I'm a reporter and I can't write some really lame, stupid cliche or alliteration to start my news story, what am I even doing in this business, right? What am I even here for? And BuzzFeed is showing us the way to to this, this point of destruction. They say they're going to rely on chat GPT to enhance its quizzes and personalize some content for its audiences, becoming the latest digital publisher to embrace artificial intelligence. Insert joke about artificial intelligence already being prevalent at BuzzFeed. In a memo to staff sent yesterday morning, which has been reviewed now by the Wall Street Journal, the chief executive at BuzzFeed, Jonah Peretti, says he intends for AI to play a larger role in the company's editorial, and business operations this year. In one instance, the company said that the new AI-powered quizzes would produce individual results just for you. 
For example, a quiz to create a personal romantic comedy movie pitch could ask questions like, you know, pick some trope for your rom-com, tell us an endearing flaw you have, and then it produces some unique, shareable write-up based on your responses. He says, no, nah, don't get crazy. Like, humans will provide or will play the role of providing ideas, cultural currency, and inspired prompts. We're just going to use AI. Just a little bit. First bump's free. Two six-packs of shiner. 99-cent butane lighter. Lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. Ice down that igloo cooler. Take a guess at all to do her. I can feel a good one coming on. Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard. Sing along to Redneck Mother. Any blues I had before are gone. Another working week is over. No chance of staying sober. I can feel a good one coming on. So upon hearing that BuzzFeed was going to farm out its content creation to a computer, shares in BuzzFeed doubled. It's now trading at $2. Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang followed us down to the lake and didn't have to think about that too long. Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight. Situation couldn't be more right. I can feel a good one coming on. Yeah, we gonna roll all night. We gonna get the feeling right. We gonna keep this party rocking till the break of dawn. Yeah, I can feel a good one. Feel like a good one. I can feel a good one coming on. By the way, BuzzFeed's not the only one here. CNET, digital technology publisher, for example, recently ran a test using internally designed AI tech to help editors create explainers about financial services topics. They pulled the plug on the test. They put out 77 stories and they found a whole bunch of factual errors. I know, what? That's stopping media now? All right, we'll see you Monday. We'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Break it down.